the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com or Salem Media Group. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420, The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Well, it's been 20 years, so let's use some quotes uh, from that uh, horrific day. This is from Captain uh, Patrick Brown, whose company was climbed to the 35th floor of the tower uh, right before it collapsed. Numerous civilians in all the stairwells, numerous burn victims are coming down. We're trying to send them down first. We're still heading up. The attacks of September 11th were intended to break our spirit. Instead, we have emerged stronger and more unified. Rudy Giuliani. Kind of questioning that now, but if we learn nothing else from this tragedy, we learn that life is short and there's no time for hate. Uh, if I could make out the scenes of the wings on all the American Airlines markings, I looked right into the cockpit, but I couldn't really make out the figures. Maybe I eyeballed Mohammed Atta, the hijacked pilot, but I can't be sure. One of the worst days in American history saw some of the bravest acts in American history. We'll always honor the heroes of 9-11. Anyway, I don't know if you've been down to the, uh, the site, but uh, I went there uh, maybe 10 years ago. It was, uh, <laughs> that, that was something that uh, boggled my mind. I still can't get over it. I just remember that day. We had like I was I was at another firm and uh, I had just moved there and I, I realized that day that I couldn't stay at that firm because the people were still going on about business. Uh, they brought some people in from from New York and I didn't want to listen to them. I couldn't. I didn't even want to hear what they had to say. And I realized that they weren't paying attention. You know, I had a, a client who retired. Um, he since moved out of the country. Uh, he was an FBI agent, and I had him on the phone, literally, as the plane struck. And he says, I got to go. And I knew right there and then it was not an accident. And uh, it was uh, it was an interesting day, you know, because uh, we closed shop at 12 o'clock, and I had to walk. Uh, there was two young ladies who were of uh, Arab descent, and I walked into their cars. Uh, I, I, You know, people were worried about them. So I walked into the cars because I was in no hurry to get home. Anyway, we had 35 people over and their kids. And the kids did what kids do. They, you know, they didn't get it. And uh, they played soccer in my backyard and played some wiffle ball in my driveway. And uh, I, everybody was kind of stunned. Anyway, I cooked chicken, barbecue chicken. 35 people, and I guess that was my way of coping for the day, huh? But it's funny. You know, I have a friend, his older brother, 
is a crass, self-serving SOB. And <laughs> that day, he went up the tower four times to carry heavyweight people, people that, were, that couldn't get down themselves. And he had a broken ankle after the second time up. So even some of the worst SOBs in the world became Patriots that day. All right. So, uh, you know, we enough, enough of that. If you've got any comments or questions, please call in. The number here is uh, 216-901-0945. So if you go to WHK1420 and go to local podcast, you can go down to Smart Investor Show and Tim Hayes. You can get, uh, you know, we, we always uh, tell people that they can get it, and we, we don't charge you or anything like that. But we had our virtual uh, energy conference, and we just had our virtual industrial conference, which is a really good one. We have the U.S. electrical grid, which is going to become more and more important, especially during, you know, Biden keeps pushing electric cars. And then we have our business owner's guide to transition planning. If you want to sell your company, first of all, don't, you know, private equity is going to steal it from you. So be careful with that. Uh, you know, we have some people that might be able to get you a better price. Money matters for young professionals. The Savvy Investors Credit Workbook, Women and Wealth. We also have stuff like our dividend growth portfolio on our, our prime income list. Uh, our top ideas, whether they're small cap, multi cap, I'm going to talk about them a little bit today. And if you'd like to have a cup of coffee with me, uh, you know, I do answer the phone and I do, uh, I love having cups of coffee or a virtual cup of coffee. So uh, feel free. Okay, so, um, you know, we had our industrial uh, conference this week, and I, I thought it was an interesting thing because um, Lori Calbacina, our head strategist, uh, she said basically that she had been market weight large-cap industrials, um, which has lagged the S&P slightly year-to-date, by the way. Uh, but she expects the reflation trades to experience another period of, of leadership uh, in the interim and probably through, you know, uh, most of 2022, um, simply because she thinks that the Fed's not going to tighten till then. You know, industrials role in the reflation trade is pretty clear, I think. But uh, like financials, the industrial sector tends to outperform when the ISM manufacturing is rising and underperform when it's falling. Cyclicals generally uh, also tend to outperform when real GDP growth remains above average, as is expected to be most case for Wall Street economists through the end of 2022. You know, it'll anticipate the end of that, by the way. On the earnings front, the industrials uh, is the middle of the pack relative to other sectors, so they're still climbing. And remember, uh, we talked about the industrials, and they always have high P-E ratios at the beginning of their cycle and low P ratios at the end. So when they're most expensive, uh, <clears throat> they're the best time. So valuations right now are, are the big problem for the industrial sector. But like I said, you know, that, that's kind of an interesting thought process. So, you know, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think when I, talk, when, I, when I think about the federal debt, okay, and, uh, you know, I was listening to Tom Porcelli this week, who is our head economist and a good one, by the way. He's on CNBC quite a bit. I think the dilemma uh, of increasing federal debt continues. And I don't see any concrete proposals for a slowdown on the horizon, obviously, with the $3.5 that the, the Democrats have uh, proposed. So 
with more spending uh, likely coming from Washington on the traditional infrastructure and social programs and climate initiatives, on top of trillions of COVID uh, relief and, you know, that type of thing, uh, many years of uh, bipartisan deficit spending is, is there, all right? Uh, and what are the ramifications of the ever-increasing federal debt on the minds of investors? And that's what the big question is. And it's an uncomfortable topic and hasn't changed since we uh, we talked about it, you know, last year and the year before. Uh, the debt-to-GDP ratio continues to rise. And the question is, you know, what are the risks associated with high debt loads? And uh, there's many, uh, I think. Uh, I think the, the great risks are after 2030. You know, I don't know if you saw this on your new Social Security statement, but they're now talking about Social Security running out 2034, and nobody's addressed it. Nobody. All right? Uh, so, look, we have suppressed interest rates now because the Federal Reserve, it's a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> the, the Treasury puts the debt out, and the Federal Reserve buys it, almost 45% of it. So I think, you know, with higher tax burdens, it's going to slow the economy down, all right? The government spending, you know, the government saying we can spend the money better than you can, all right? So uh, it, it'll weaken the social safety net, and it'll reduce the economic growth. It's that simple. So, you know, think about that. Now, if you wanted to know what the Fed thinks about the recent payroll report, the perfect Fed official spoke uh, the other day, I think it was on the 7th, and he the, uh it's the the New York Fed president, uh, Williams, and he thinks that we are starting to, to track to start taper later this year. And uh, he's the, he's a dove. He's very dove. I mean, he's normally very dove, okay? So even he's talking about that. So, you know, look, the Delta, why it's created some bumps in the road, particularly on the spending front, you know, something we, you know, we'll probably see more of. And I, I'm sure Tom Percelli is going to talk about that in the, in the near future. I can almost guarantee it. If the Fed just released the beige book, uh, it would be taken a stride, I think. But the Delta was mentioned uh, in the commentary of nearly every Fed district. So that's something to think about, all right? So now, look, I, I also think, uh, you know, what we're looking at here is a, a scenario. Well, let's just change the subject. Let's go to commodities. And geopolitics, oil, natural gas, gold, clean energy, there's a lot of stuff going on there. The prospect for a new nuclear agreement continues to fade with the IAEA. Uh, and that's kind of sounding alarms for lack of inspector access to the key facilities. And the U.S. Secretary of State, Blinken, he's warning this time is running out in the ongoing negotiations. That's kind of scary. And then Chinese policy leading to protracted stock, uh, stock drawdowns is a code red level bearish concern for the market over the medium term, I think. And while today's storage report from the EIA came in above expectations, uh, you know, the price levels stand out and lingering supply demand hits to a tight balance is what it comes down to. That's for natural gas. So, uh, you know, one of the things gold has been actually a bit of a drag on the broader commodity space, which we think is also suffering from a lack of under lying interest because of bitcoins and ethereum so uh, by the way we do have congressional deadlines mount for september we also have the budget problem you know if we don't increase the budget there ain't no money left and the 
the amount that the uh, <laughs> uh, the folks at the you know, in, in the House, the Democrats want is 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 big, and the Republicans aren't budget. And this may be the way they can't. You can't do a budget thing with reconciliation. I don't think so. Uh, it'll be interesting. Now, look, I, I was looking at uh, some things that uh, you know. Well, up until about a decade ago, there was a fairly simple answer to this question, and that is. If you looked at, you analyzed the total returns of U.S. stocks, it revealed that over long periods of time, value stocks would outperform growth stocks. However, since the, the you know the Great Recession in 2008-9, um, growth has been just wiping value out. And uh, the question is, is that's you know, it's basically debunked the theory about value. So the question is, will that go on? And you know, you pick up any book measuring the returns of quantitative investment styles, to, you know, dating back uh, to around a decade ago, and you'll find a clear message. Value outperforms growth. Uh, you know, James Asanasi's book about, uh, you know, quantitative finance says that. And, uh, you know, there's lots of others, by the way. Dodd Graham, especially. So the narrative around these results was that companies that experienced higher growth would attract investors optimistic that the growth would continue into the future which in turn placed upward pressure on growth stock valuations. When, when earnings growth inevitably slowed, and usually due to a slowdown in the industry or whatever, uh, the more expensive growth companies would particularly, particularly uh, would experience the greater losses, right? So it's interesting, but uh, growth versus value after the, the financial crisis has been big. And uh, our, uh, we have a portfolio made of all-cap stocks large cap, small cap, mid cap, uh, you know, the whole kit and caboodle. And it's kind of interesting because it's been tilted towards growth with just a few value stocks in it. And it's been really doing quite well <laughs> over time. And it's something I highly recommend to uh, just take a look at. And I'll just leave it at that. Um, okay. So I, I was looking at uh, Rob Schleimer's work this week. And Rob is our uh, head technician. He took over for Bob Dickey about the, about a year ago, and uh, he's more trend and cycle. And it's kind of interesting because he and Bob do things differently, all right? But usually they come up with the same market comments. And then, you know, Rob's more of a trend follower where Bob is more of a, you know, buy at a reasonable cost type of guy and looking for stocks that have bottomed. And so it's a little bit different. But, you know, he, he said that the 10-year 10, 10 is bottoming. Uh, but he also talked about the S&P 500. And the uptrend remains intact. Now, it was at the top of the trend line dating back quite a, quite a ways, uh, you know, back to like 2009. And uh, if you look at the daily charts, it's now falling off that. And it, so it's not growing at that same rate it had been. Um, so we have quite a bit of support uh, at the, you know, the 4250 area uh, on the S&P 500. And we have quite a bit of resistance uh, right around the 4400 area. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, uh, what happens there now the 10-year yield uh it looks like the yield has bottomed in the intermediate term uh and i you know at about the 1.12 yield area and i'm using yield because yield's easier as far as i'm concerned the weekly momentum on it is bottoming and it's starting to turn up which is usually a good thing meaning you know look you want interest rates to go up at this point simply to tell us that the economy is doing better and that's when those 
industrials that we talked about and uh, and all that stuff would would do uh, much much better. Now, if you look at the ten year on a daily basis, it stopped right at its two hundred day moving average. Uh, I'm sorry, it's fifty day moving average, and then it broke above its two hundred day moving average this week. So, if we have a reversal in the fifty days turning up, that could lead to things making making things interesting. So, I, I think you know if if you break one one point four five, you, you could lead to one point five nine and almost one point six. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, uh, he, he also mentioned a couple things, and these are the uh, epicenter stocks. Okay, you know he talks about the casino index is beginning to reverse its you know second quarter and third quarter downtrend. Also, the hotel index is bottoming with a move above the July highs needed to to reverse its downtrend. And then the airlines index, uh, which, you know, took off uh, uh, back in the last summer, well, it it needs to rally above the July highs, uh, you know, if if it's going to turn back up. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, where we go from here. But look, I I think you got to kind of reassess the playing field right now. You, you know, you got a new Delta variant and the new Mu variant, which is a, a pain. But uh, and, and it's my personal opinion that I think the pandemic would be pretty well in hand if it wasn't for these new strains that are coming out. But uh, look, many U.S. companies, large tech firms, and banks have delayed the return to office plans to early 2022. Um, from you know, I mean, look, I was supposed to be in the office this week, uh, and that that didn't happen. So, it, it, it's a. I think the calculus is a tricky one for governments. You know, the public to- tolerance for further lockdowns is really low, and the rollout of vaccines, despite an incomplete uptake, should keep hospitalization facilities from you know spiking to some extent. Those infections, you know, uh, don't happen. Okay, but you know, they're talking about a mix of vaccine passports and vaccine mandates, and they're increasingly being used as a uh, damaging solution than uh, blunt lockdowns. Let's put it that way, okay? Now, uh, I, okay. All right. Uh, listen, let's take a break, and uh, we'll be right back in a, in a minute or two. Remember, this is the Smart Investor Show. Uh, if you get a question, 216-901-0945, 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was um, I had a lot of questions uh, from some people about foreign stocks. Uh, by the way, if you have a question for the show, 216-901-0945 gets you into the studio, 216-901-0945. And, uh, I, you know, I looked at some, uh, some different countries, and, you know, I've been talking about uh, the Norwegian companies, Swede, uh, countries, Sweden, Norway, you know, they're looking interesting. Israel's looking interesting. Uh, some Europe. I'm seeing some bigger names in Europe start to emerge. Uh, it, even the Italian and Latin America, I'm seeing some things happen there that I, I kind of like. And even some of the frontier markets. Uh, now, I think the frontier markets, you want to stay away from anything that has to do with technology because the Chinese government wants to 
I think they're they're trying to cut the billionaires at the knees, you know. Uh, but we are starting to see some of these uh, break out, uh, even Egypt. Okay, so that's good. But the one thing that's the problem with some of the foreign stocks is that the relative strength has not broken out versus the S&P 500. So it's it's still better to be in the S&P 500, but if you want to diversify a little bit, that's, that's uh, you know, okay. Now, uh, I, I had uh, Bill uh, call, uh, actually just emailed me, and he said, uh, you know, I think this bull market's over. Look, I don't make predictions. I, you know, I... I I think I made my big prediction was back in 2007 in November. I think it was the last week in November. Uh, you know, I, I ruined everybody's uh, turkey day by saying I thought the money market would outperform the stock market next year. And I said it for another nine months. Okay. And it did. <laughs> and it did in 2009 too. Now in 2009, I got a little bit more bullish, but first of all, the bullish percent, you know, is in a column of O's. So that's not a good thing right at the moment, but uh, for, you know, for the market to start a big bear, you'd have to have a couple things. First of all, you know, the definition by Charles Dow of a bull market uh, was a break below a swing top, okay? Uh, a lower low, okay? That's number one. But we're making higher highs right now. So we're not... We're not even close to a lower high. You know, that's where supply comes in a lower level. That's where, by the way, if you see a stock or a bond like that uh, or or a market, it's time to go. I mean, commodities did that back in 2009. The stock market did it in 2001 and did it again in 2007. Okay, that's why I made those calls. So we're still making higher highs. Uh, we haven't made a lower high. And then the third, you have to break the 50-day moving average, which, you know, we did last year, but we're, we haven't done it this year. Uh, and by the way, it was amazing how fast the 50-day moving average went down and swung back up. Uh, and, and then finally, you have to see the RSI, if you don't know what that is, you got to look it up, uh, go below 40. And uh, none of that, you know, I mean, last week was kind of a digestive week, you know, and it's sell on Rosh Hashanah, buy on Yom Kippur, okay, which has been uh, an age-old, uh, you know, sign. But, uh, you know, look, uh, We've been talking about being more careful for a month now. <laughs> so if you're listening to the show, you know, you should be, you know, be thinking about that. All right. Uh, but the stock market, you know, uh, look, the option expiration occurred. We went straight up for a week. And now, you know, it's over and we're starting to fade back. So, you know, it's amazing how much power the option players have. All right. So. You know, that, look, one of the things that worries me a little bit, you get the bullish percent that, that's, you know, in a column of O's, but the small cap idea, small caps and, and the foreign stocks turn back up this week. So, um, you know, one of the other things is the Rydex asset analysis are, you know, at new lows. So, you know, that's where, you know, when the RIDEX is the, in, you know, the inverse fund, okay? So it goes up when it goes down. And, you know, when you have the money market funds uh, at low levels, and, and they are at low levels, and then you have the index, you know, the, the RIDEX bear index fund at a low level, usually that's when, you know, you got to be 
cautious and and you know we've been talking about that for a while so it shouldn't be a uh uh you know a problem now i did see something you know look high yield bonds are uh very similar to they're kind of uh you know a, a i mean a stock market surrogate with a you know because they have they have yield uh but they're, they're they tend to be volatile but they they trade more like stocks than than the t-bond by the way uh and you know we had a divergence there for a while and uh you know we thought there was some trouble in liquidity bill but it turned out that uh you know that has turned back up so i don't think we've got a problem there either now all right so it's just you know you see the stuff and you gotta think about it for a while and look i i just want people to concentrate uh you know we talk about these secular bull markets okay and secular bull markets mean that it's going to be a bull market for a while. Now, it doesn't mean we can't have a 2020. You know, in the in one of the greatest secular bull markets of our time, we had 1987, and then three years later, we had uh, 1990. Okay, and when Saddam Hussein rode into town, okay, so we we you have 20 percent corrections, but they tend to be fast, they tend to be quick, they tend to be scary, but the direction is up. Now, you know, from 2000 to 2016, we had deflation. That's why everybody kept buying dividend stocks, all right? Because, you know, that's when you really make money because there's no real yield in, in the in the treasury. So I think uh, the, the bull market, secular bull market started in 2017 with the Trump administration. Uh, because there were, it was a growth administration. So it'll be interesting to see how long this lasts. But usually they last 16 to 18 years, 17 on average. And I don't know why that is, but there's been four, four or five major cycles in the stock market dating back to 1855. Uh, but since really people started watching it, which was back in, uh, you know, 1890 when they started putting it down paper, uh, we've had four of these major cycles. So uh, it's something to... You know, you, you want to stay focused on the long term. The other thing I think you've got to think about is that there's these four-year cycles within those 17-year cycles. We had our bear market. You know, that's how they start with a with a bear market or a big decline. Now, it doesn't have to be 37% like it was in 2020, but it can be, you know, 10 to 15%. And then they go up for a couple of years. Then they start to go flat, and then they go down again, and then they turn back up. So it's every four years. So we probably have a couple more years left on that four-year cycle too. All right. Uh, now, if you look at the, you know, dating back to 2009 at the bottom, we're at the high end. All right. So if you ha if you draw trend lines, each one of the higher lows you draw a trend line on, and then you draw a trend line on the higher highs, and that's a trend. So we're at the higher end. All right. We're not exactly at the top. But, you know, we've kind of faded back, especially on a, uh, you know, on the uh, uh, the uh, uh, daily chart. Now, you also look at the four and 13 month indicators. I, I show this to people on a, on a big basis. And the, the one thing I, I, I think you got to worry about is that the four month is way over the 13 month. Usually that's a good sign, by the way, when the four month is over the 13 month, it means you're in a bull situation. When the 13 month goes over the four months, that's when you start to worry a little bit. It's happened a couple of times. Uh, by the way, I talked about this 
in the beginning of 2020, if you were listening to the show, I, I said the, the four month is turning over the, 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 the 13 month, and that's not a good sign. And I said, I think we're going to have a 10, 15% correction coming up here. Now, you know, I was talking about having 20% cash and that type of thing. And then, you know, obviously uh, the pandemic started. So, uh, but if you look at the, the S&P 500 versus bonds, the long-term bond, you still want to be in the S&P 500. Now, we are starting to see, like I said, some of the foreign markets start to, to develop here, but we're not seeing the relative strength. Okay, Some of the relative strengths, like and some of the emerging markets, are hitting new lows. All right? Uh, Europe is hitting new lows. Uh, the, you know, the, the Golden Dragon China Index is hitting new lows on relative strength. That's not usually a good sign. That's not what you want, okay? So... And by the way, if you're worried about the 10-year yield, you know, breaking out or whatever, you know, this goes back to 1980. This yield has been going down. And you, you still – I think you have to break 260 on the 10-year before we even think about the downtrend ending going back to 1981, basically. All right? So that's something to think about. Now, the dollar, you know, was a little bit stronger than I anticipated. That's why I think, you know, uh, oil uh, broke down a little bit. But I think, you know – it's something to think about. You know, the dollar has been weak. Uh, if you had a collapse of something like Bitcoin, the dollar would be very strong, I think. You know, copper futures uh, are still on a monthly basis. They made a double top. Uh, they haven't broken down yet, which is interesting. So it would be very interesting. And, and crude oil broke the downtrend line dating back to 2010. And that's that's a long time, you know. So And gold, you know, gold. I think is making a cup and handle formation. You know, it's it's been in a big cup and you know it's it's been in this handle now. It has to break 1985 or 1975 for it to to break out. But uh, you know, I, it resistance is is at 1900. But if it broke 2000, you know, which isn't hard to do for gold if if things uh, go well. Now, one of the things that I uh, we look at, at at RBC is market cycles. Okay. And the 10-year yields are at the bottom. So aren't financials and energy and healthcare. All right? The NASDAQ technology is at the top of a short-term cycle anyway. And then if I look at the industry groups in a really long-term cycle, telcos are, are, you know, are still an established to late downtrend. But bottom and early uptrends are pharmaceuticals. Couldn't get that out. Uh, and, and energy. And gold and REITs. You know, it's a great article on gold and REITs. All right, listen, we're going to take a break. Uh, the number here is 216 901 0945. 216 901 0945. looking at things this week and uh long-term things as i you know i kind of went long-term on you just a second ago and one of the things that is uh, really interesting is the real estate sector you know uh we talk about the prime income list which has several real estate investment trusts and if you go back you know we're, we we hit a double top uh from where we were february of 2020 and uh you know real estate had really uh 
hit the rocks uh, uh, in, in September of 2019. So it was kind of an interesting scenario. And, and now we're, we're, you know, are we head back or whatever? But, you know, real estate investment trusts make up a lot of different things. For example, the, the property for the most part. Uh, but you can buy single-family homes that way. You can buy apartments. You can buy land. You can buy you can buy farms. You can buy in a, in the form of a REIT server farms too. You don't if you think they're going to cut back on server farms. You know this is the cloud. Okay, this is the cloud. So all these farms. That some of these people are, are building are they're just thousands and thousands of servers storing information for companies. There's also antenna REITs. Okay, 5G, 6G, and 7G are all about antennas. It's all about wireless. Okay, now you might have fiber optic cable in the home or coming to the home sometimes, uh, but most of it's going to be antennas, and the antennas. There's REITs for that, too. All right? So uh, don't disregard uh, uh, our friends at the, uh, the Real Estate Investment Trust. It's a great way. You know, I once had a guy in my office who, uh, um, you know, talked about, you know, these REITs. They keep buying things, and they're, you know, they're always up, and they, but they keep going up for the most part, uh, you know. And especially if you buy REITs when the yield is up and the stock is down, even a better thing. So, uh, uh, you know, keep that in mind. Anyway, we always talk about the, the uh, prime, I mean, I'm sorry, is the uh, bullish percent. And the bullish percent was designed by some protégés of Charles Dow. And what they wanted to be was bullish at the bottom and bearish at the top. And uh, I think it's important that, uh, you know, you think about that because, um most people do it the opposite way. You know, mutual fund returns are above average for the most part. People buying the mutual funds buy when things are high and sell when they're low. So they get about one quarter to one third of the return of a mutual fund because they do it the wrong way. All right. So what we're trying to do is, uh, you know, be careful. Okay. So by the way, you know, I had a lot of people talk to me about China stock, and, you know, uh, we talked about the world fund being negative, and there are several, you know, Chinese stocks that I've seen have gone from, like, 33 uh, that are, are looking at 3 bucks now. Uh, you know, so yeah, you got to be careful with these things, but the world index has been negative and had been negative for a long time. But the New York Stock Exchange bullish percent was designed by uh, Ernie Stavey, who was a protege of Charles Dow. So what he did, you know, point and figure charts were all the rage back then, and they still still work really well. Uh, I use them all the time. I also use regular charts and candlesticks and a whole bunch of other stuff. But it goes from zero to 100. When you get over 70, that's the red zone. That's when everything, everybody's talking about their portfolio. You can't wait to open your 401k statement. You look at it every day on the computer, you know, that type of thing. And then we get below 30. That's when uh, nobody wants to talk about anything. You know, they they're crying in their beer and, you know, uh, I don't get invited to parties. <laughs> and then there's two other things. Is uh, Number one is when you're column of X's, you've got the offensive team on the field. When you're column of O's, you have the defensive team on the field. All right? 
very simple, you know. And it, by the way, when you're a calm voice, it doesn't mean you have to sell your whole portfolio. All right, I have no intentions of selling uh, five or six of my core positions ever. All right. However, uh, there is one other thing, and what we do is we take a look at the relative strength of each one of the uh, asset classes. And what domestic equities are right now the number one asset class. Back in 2007, they were the lowest form of life. Okay. That's why I said that the money market, which was the number one asset class, would outperform the stock market. It wasn't being brilliant. I was just looking at what the, you know, the scope was telling me. All right. But now, domestic equities are the number one asset class. Commodities are second. International equities are third. So just remember that. But the New York Stock Exchange Index is in a column of O's. It was very close to turning up again at 60. It might have done it Friday. I don't. I don't think so because we were down 270. The over-the-counter index was up three and a half and did go into a column of X's. And so did the, and the, the world index is at 50, up 4% for the week, and then a column of X's. So it was generally a positive week for the smaller names and the, and the, and the foreign stocks. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how the big stocks work, okay? Um, but if, you know, the, the one thing I, I will say is the bullish percent for the over-counter stocks was really important, I thought. But what was more important was the bullish percent for growth stocks uh, broke into a column of X's and broke a double pop at 56, which is very positive. So, uh, you know, growth stocks are where the money's being made right now. But, once you know, once again, we talked about that barbell approach, okay? The, the bar is your dividend growth stocks, your prime income list stocks, you know, that type of thing. One side is your value stocks, all right? Maybe you call in for our, you know, capital markets, our global energy products, uh, I mean, thing, or our electrical grid or industrial, uh, you know, uh, conferences. That's where you find that list. And on the left-hand side, you maybe call in for our all-cap growth portfolio. That's the growth stocks, okay? So, uh, you know, if you look... Uh, and, and I look at the breakdown, um, you know, consumer cyclical, healthcare, and technology led the way. And, uh, you know, technology, uh, you know, they have a lot of companies with attributes of three to four or five, okay? And, and Dorsey Wright system, you know, zero for five is a stock you don't want to own, but three for four, four or five for five are good ideas. Healthcare had a lot of. Had 96 companies uh, uh, go into positive technical, uh, you know, attributes and uh, technology at 68 this week. So that's a lot, uh, you know. And we had been negative on the Dow or positive on the Dow for a lot of weeks, and now it went negative. Uh, and we had the foreign stocks who had been negative for like 14, 15 weeks went positive. So that's good. Uh, the small caps, which have been negative for 22 or 23 weeks, went positive, and so did the mid caps. They went about a week ahead of time. Now, the XLG and and had been one of the strong leadership groups, and has been negative for six weeks now. So the larger stocks on the uh, you know on the uh, of the S and P 500 have been weak, but the QQQs turned positive this week, and they've been negative for a while. So uh, that's usually your growth stocks, by the way, all right? Uh, so I, some people asked me about, uh, you know, the ETFs out there for foreign stocks, and, and uh, you know, I talked about that earlier in the show. But, uh, you know, year-to-date, 
the QQQs and and the, the actually the Frontier ETF has been very good, uh, and and the XLG has been very good, and the small cap stocks have been very good. But uh, if you look at the EEM, it's only up three percent, so it hasn't been a great year for the EEM, and that's why you know. Well, look, if, if you're looking at geographical exposure breakdown, obviously the U.S. is a big one, but I, I'm seeing it in Japan, United Kingdom, France, Switzerland, Germany, Austria, Australia, I'm sorry, uh, Netherlands, Sweden, you know, Denmark, and, and Italy. Uh, they have been the stronger ones. Uh, I don't know if I'd be buying all those. Like I said, the, the big problem is is the relative strength is not, you know, you want to be in the highest relative strength you can if, if you're out there. Uh, so, you know, I, I do notice that the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index, which is a big ETF, you know, would break a double top at 83. So the price is going up. It's just that the relative strength's not going up, so which is interesting. Now, you know, last week we only had one favored sector. <laughs> this week we have three. Uh, Wall Street, uh, well, banking's at 64. And then computers and Wall Street are at 50. Uh, that there's the only one. But we are slowly but surely moving to the left, all right, um, which is good. We did have, uh, you know, just a couple changes uh, in in groups. Uh, and that was, you know, biotechnology, which has been very unfavored, went to average. The Internet went to average. Steel and forest and paper products. These were all very unfavored. And then we went to favored, obviously, was Wall Street and computer this week. So, um International equities, I, you know, like I said, Taiwan, the relative strength there is is interesting. Uh, but you don't want to be in anything that has large exposure to uh, technology. Now, some of the Taiwanian ETFs, there's one that might break a, you know, if it printed 66, would break a quadruple top, which is just very, very positive. Last time it did there, it had a big move. Uh, and then if we look at the 10-year yield on a, on a you know, a point-and-figure basis, uh, if we break 1.4, uh, we'd break the downtrend line dating back, uh, you know, about six, seven months. So uh, that would be positive for the economy, obviously. So you just remember that. Crude oil's been negative for a while. So, all right, we're going to take a break here. This is the Smart Investor Show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. That's it. Yeah, I know. Didn't want to interrupt uh, beautiful son. Anyway, uh, we're back. This is where we talk about insiders. Uh, here's something that's interesting on the short side. Michael Bonney, who's the guy that was short big time uh, in, in the big short, you know, he shorted all the mor- mortgage bonds. He short several of Kathy Wood's ARC ETS. Very interesting. On the other hand, on the buy side, Pershing Capital continues to buy Chipotle at a new high. Uh, they bought $48 million worth, uh, and then they bought $30 million worth. Wow. Now, why do we look at insiders? Insiders know their companies better. Now, some of these big guys know their company. You know, they sharpen their pencils, so they know these companies pretty well. 
so we, we look at big purchases and, uh, uh, you know, we'll just leave it at that. We look at big purchases. Now, here's one that's really interesting, uh, which I own quite a bit of, Asana. This is Dustin Muscovitz, who is one of the founders of Facebook. I'm up 40, 50% on the stock. Some, some people 60, 70%. Uh, not everybody bought it. Not like I couldn't get to everybody because it moved very, very fast on me. But he just bought another 750,000 shares, folks. That's about 75 million bucks. Now, look, he can afford it. He's worth like 19, 20 billion. But it's interesting. It's at a new high. He paid as high as 99.88. That's amazing. And then we have uh, Allset eHome uh, International, which is a real estate investment trust. It's like a $2 stock. And one of the directors bought 12 million shares, which is about $15 million. And then the Howard Hughes Corporation, which has been down and out for a while. We had Pershing Square Capital, who just bought Chipotle, buy a whole bunch, about $13, $14 million worth of stock also. So I think that's kind of interesting. And then uh, Dine Community Bank Corp, Basswood Capital Management, bought um, they bought uh, like $8 million. Uh, and then two days later, they bought another 715000 and then they bought a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So, um, and it, so you, you like to see multiple buys. And then the Baker brothers stepped up to the plate and bought some more Kodiak. Now, you may recall they bought 26 million shares when the stock was 58 and went to 175. And then they stepped in about two weeks ago and bought $26 million worth, and now they've bought another $5.3 million, or 57,500 shares. Uh, also, we had uh, Joshua Kushner, uh, who's uh, been buying Oscar Health, and you know, he bought several, he bought about $5 million back on the second. Now he's up, he's up buying again. He's uh, bought, bought another, you know, $2.8 million. So that's a stock that's down and out, by the way, uh, you know, been, been hate getting hit pretty hard. And then Ron Coughlin, who's the CEO of uh, Petco Health, uh, bought a million dollars worth. And trust me, he owns a lot. <laughs> and DPW, which is uh, Alt Global Holdings, uh, we had uh, Milton Alt, uh, executive chairman. He bought uh, 900000 then he bought 800000 and then he bought um, 500000 and then he bought a little bit more about 150,000. So, like to see multiple purchases. Uh, he's he's involved, and then Select Quote, which you may recall, Nancy Pelosi's uh, bought some um, a couple weeks ago. This week, we had some more insider buys at 13. Uh, so we we had uh, Tom Grant as a director buy uh, about 750,000 dollars worth, uh, and then he stepped in and bought another 990,000 dollars worth. So. Uh, that's kind of interesting because uh, we had four insiders buy last week and Nancy Pelosi, and then uh, just multiple buys here. Uh, HACO, which is an aerospace and defense, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight people, uh, nine, ten people, I'm sorry, by an average of about $100,000 worth, and they were all, I mean, it's basically the entire uh, executive staff. <laughs> so HACO may be one you take a look at. Um, couple other things we noticed, uh, you know, uh, Citrix, uh, Robert, uh, well, Elliot, we'll just call it Elliot, uh, bought $1 billion stake in that, and I thought that was interesting. And good RX, you know, last week, uh, Abdul uh, 
capital, but uh, like $26 million worth of stock. They bought another 473,000 shares. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of buying out there. Okay. So, uh, look, I, I think if I was a betting man, um, you know, I, I think the key here is, is that you got to remember that we're in this long-term cycle. Okay. Um, and that's the way it is. It's just, you know, there, there's going to be disruptions occasionally. You know, maybe we're coming to one. I mean, look, the bullish percent's been a column of O's for some time now. Uh, you know, we've been bouncing between 60 and 80, and then we broke 60, went down to 50, and then we turned around. Okay, so I'm uh, making a series of, you know, we're making some more lows. And we weren't, you know, on the up switch, uh, tick. We were not, we did not have a lot of participation from other stocks. It was mainly the large stocks. Now it's the small stocks that have broken out. All right. That's interesting. So, you know, maybe that's where we go from here. And I, I think you have to pay pretty close attention to that. Uh, so now would be a good time to call in and get our, uh, you know, small cap best idea list or our multi cap list, which is done very well, very, very well. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because it's kept up with the S&P 500 a little bit above there. But it's it's also what I think is very interesting is that uh, a lot of stocks in it are down right now. So when they were up, it was looking much better. And I think like Peloton, you know, we made a lot of money on Peloton. And, you know, if it pulls back, it's pulled back now and it's starting to turn up, you know, obviously there are times when you want to buy stocks that are down. That's what you want to do. So, look, I think there's some real good uh, stuff out there. You know, the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list, Dividend stocks have underperformed now for five and a half years. Dividends are 40% of the return of the S&P 500 over the last 75 years. 40%. All right? So it's, re- it's returned about 9%. So 40% of that, or 4, 4%, you know, what this called 4%, is dividends. If you have dividend growth, it's even better. So those are lists that I'd be paying attention to. But look, we've just talked about the industrial stocks. We had a, a, a virtual conference with them. It's a great new piece. It has numerous companies in it. We had a virtual conference with Global Energy, Power, and Infrastructure. Highly recommend it. All right. Um, you know, this is the stuff, you know, that they're talking about with the infrastructure. The electrical grid is another piece that we put out. This is really good information. Uh, I can't tell you, you know, names, names, and all that stuff. But look, just go to my webpage. It's go to WHK's webpage. That's easier. WHK fourteen twenty. Go to local podcast down to Smart Investor Show and Tim Hayes. All you gotta do. There's all sorts of you know, uh, contact me, send this to me, whatever uh, on this thing. And while you're there, go. To insights. There's real research in there. I think the electrical grid piece might be on there by now. All right, so it's good stuff, you know. And it and it's uh, it, and by the way, you can also see Rob Schleimer's stuff under bulletin board, and they have a weekly newsletter there that can bring it. It also talks about interest rates and why we think they're going to stay low, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Very good stuff. Very very good stuff. I think you should you know take a look. Plus, we have the Savvy Investors Credit Workbook. We have Money Matters for the Young Professionals. We have a woman and, and wealth uh, planning 
uh, booklet for them and a business owner's guide to transition. In the meantime, 20 years, wow. It's, uh, I, I can remember it like yesterday, and I, I, I hope everybody takes a moment today. You know, I got to go to a funeral, which is, uh, makes things even worse. But, uh, you know, think about what, what happened uh, 20 years ago. And don't forget. Don't forget. All right? Maybe we need to bring the country back together again. We were very close then. Everybody was rooting for the other person. Let's not forget. In the meantime, this is Tim Hayes on the Smart Investor Show. God bless America. Have a great weekend. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain. For purple mountains, majesties above the fruited plain. America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.